Welcome to Story for Another Time Podcast, Season 2. More guests, more explosions. I'm Joe Greenwood. That's my buddy, John Jacob. Hey, everybody. And our special guest this Yes, week. I am so excited about our special guest, Joe. You have heard of Dosecki Beer, the most interesting <laughs> man in the world. Yes. I think they patterned that off of our guest in-house today. And we are so excited to have him here. So, but we're playing a game. I'm not introducing him yet. Can it be now? The man here with us today is a man named Brian Dollinger. Uh-huh. Want to say hi, Brian? It's, hi there. Hello, everyone. And all I'm going to say is I know a little bit of this guy's story. He is extremely interesting mm-hmm. and a fascinating. I, I'm just I can't wait for you to peel back the layers of this onion, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> so Joe's always talking about his 20 plus years of radio experience and uh-huh. interviewing all these famous people and how naturally mm-hmm. inquisitive he is. So we, I, we have not let these two really talk before this podcast. So we're going to see how Joe does as an interviewer in finding out the interesting story of Brian Dollinger. I'm ready. Now, Brian is a really cool guy. He's a dad here at Bethel. Joe, do what you do. Investigative journalist All right. Joe. Brian, I'm ready. Let's now, here's the thing is when you yeah. are an interviewer, I never ask a question I don't know the answer to. And good luck leading. Good luck leading, yes. <laughs> now, should he be naturally kind of vague or? No. What do you want to do, Joe? No. Let's, <clears throat> let's have a conversation. Just be open, honest. Okay. Yes, of course. So. Yeah, wait, you're not going to just like, so what do you do for a living, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta do that, aren't you? I think that'd be kind of cheap. Oh, so, what do you do for a I know you do something with music. Really? But we'll get there. Okay. So, Brian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> tell me about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? No, I actually grew up here in Morton. Okay. Uh, yeah, and um, not too far from the school. Um, yeah, so I just I grew up here and went to Grundy School, went to the junior high, and high school, and John and I were talking earlier. I f- not to quit what I do or my talents or anything to Michael Jordan, but you know how Michael Jordan played NBA, retired, came back, retired, yeah. came back, all that. That's kind of with myself and Morton. So grew up here, left, went off to school, came back, went off and did this, mm-hmm. came back, and we're back again. So, uh, okay. you know, it's, it's the little magnet keeps drawing back to Morton. And it's so uh, you spent some time overseas then? How would I? How would I did say I say that. anything about overseas? You? <laughs> but did you? You should see the look on his face. He's like, he looks like, like uh, Inspector Pavot. Let's ask this. What made you ask that particular yes. question from what he said, Joe? Yes. Because if he answered it. <laughs> then it would have revealed an awful lot. So this okay. is like 20 questions. He so, was, he's whittling it down like 20 questions. Yeah. So, All right. So there was right. anything he said that no, nothing in particular. Just, that's just a question. Well, you've been gone. You, so that's you definitely were out of the area. I could have been in Bloomington. So you spent some time overseas. <laughs> I've been overseas, yes. You've been overseas? Yes, I've been overseas. For an extended period of time? Uh, no, not not, ex- not expanded period of time. It was, it, there were stints, I guess you could stay. It would be a good... good Ooh, be there's good. a clue. Some military. Oh, no! This guy, <clears throat> I've always said, don't judge a book by its cover. Yes. <laughs> Joe is a really smart guy. So I'm going to say, Ooh. you look like a jarhead. <laughs> good. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Any, 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 any Marine, any jarhead will take that as a compliment. What, look like that. What about the way he looks? I don't have hair to have that high and tight anymore, so. 
just very, I don't know. Marines have a certain look. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll agree to that. <laughs> okay, so what did you do the Marines? I was a combat engineer, 1371. And so wow. uh, the two way I talk to civilians about that is there's the um, non-combative side, which is construction. Mm-hmm. And so we did everything from block construction. I've been to Central American countries, building schoolhouses up in villages in the mountains of Guatemala and Belize. And, and um, also... Um, Defensive position, construction bunkers, those types of things. We also felling trees for tactical purposes. So, you know, lumberjack type things, which is kind of cool. Either with tools or with the other side of the job is explosives. Um, so everything, you know, you would see. Yeah, they're like, yeah. We'll talk about That's more explosions. <laughs> more explosions. That's why I love it. So we utilizing explosives to fell trees or like you see in the movies, you know, make things disappear, tactical reasons, all that kind of stuff. Make things um, disappear, sounds mysterious. Yes, it's very loud and fun. Um, so when you got into the military, were you thinking more of that line, more of the engineering line, or did you just get in and find that? No, it was actually a quirk. Um, and again, I, I, when did I go in? I joined at 24. Okay. So I already had a year and a half of my master's degree done. Um, and so I was going in to be a pilot, go to office candidate school, be a um, rotary wing. I wanted to fly Cobra attack helicopters. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and I figured, you know, I, you know, naive and young, but I figured, you know, I'll put 20 years in the Corps and then retire. I've got all this combat training experience and helicopters. I'll open a touring helicopter touring place like at Grand Canyon or Hawaii or yeah. someplace. I'm like, this would be awesome. Can you imagine? And getting a tour with a combat helicopter pilot. I mean, that'd be so. Uh, but it was nine months till the next officer candidate school, and I didn't want to wait around. So I called the enlisted recruiter who I first had contact with, and I said, How fast can you get me to Paris Island, South Carolina, for enlisted training? And so I went, I'm like, Basically, I was thinking, I didn't want to sit around, and then I want to see if I could do it. Can I become a Marine? You know, and so I heard him in the background, he says, How's next week? I'm like, Let's go. So wow. the, the naivete of me being that young. Um, was that you know, we would we had a plan for going to uh, boot camp, recruit training, leave, then go back for combat training, then go to MOS school, which is the job mm-hmm. that you could train for, check in a reserve unit in August, check out, and then go right on to OCS. Sounds great. But as we all as adults know, government doesn't really work so great. No. So it was pretty naive kind of to think that. But God was watching over me because we're in combat training and they called a bunch of us over that had certain MOSs. And they said these certain classes weren't being offered anymore. So you got to pick something else. So one was like a motor T guy. One was heavy equipment. One was something. And then, then the last one was a like combat engineer. And I was like, hey, Sergeant, isn't that the one where you blow stuff up? He said, absolutely. I said, yep, that's me. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'm like, let's <laughs> do it. Yeah. Uh, finished all that training as you're leaving Camp Lejeune. They have to do all the physicals, eye physicals. I had to spread my fingers, you know, looking at the eye exam, because I, I couldn't see it like I did oh. before at the flight physical. Yeah. So something oh. happened in the, you know, six, seven months. Yeah, that I could, yeah. and back in the back in the '90s, late '90s, to get into flight school, you had to have 2020. Right. Once you're in, you know they'll correct you, they'll visor you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I knew what that writing on the wall was. So I'm like, oh no. Um, and so I just decided. I came back, had a couple civilian doctors check it just to make sure. And uh, then I decided, you know what? I'm going to stay enlisted, stay with the reserve unit, stay combat engineer. 
and go back to school and you know start a whole nother graduate degree mm -hmm. and go back on the path I was on before and all that stuff and um, then I continued with with the unit I was in actually in Peoria Charlie Company Engineers right. and did a bunch of the task joint task forces and um, and we were part of Operation Enduring and Iraqi Freedom in 03 so I was part of the invasion of Iraq. So you got deployed. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it was part of all that and it's so uh, diametrically opposite of what I you know my civilian career. That, but it's interesting. People always want to talk about that when I, when I do interviews and things. And not day I do I, that goes by. I don't think about the core. I still have buddies that are in the core. Really? Um, yeah. Well, there's certainly a dichotomy in you as well. But first, we got to go back. That's to a big word. That's a. I like that's that a word. word and yeah. Half. For all you folks out there, get the dictionary out. That's a twenty-five at, cent word. At Twenty-four. Yes. You were in quite the rush to join the Marines. Why? Um. Actually, it wasn't a rush. Rush. I guess it might come across the way. I had. Done a year and a half of my master's degree and gotten burned out on what I was doing at the time. I'd gotten into rest the restaurant management business. Mm. And so then I'd gone around the country for six, seven months opening restaurants and helping restaurants that were needing management assistance or change of um, direction, things like that. Mm. And I was in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, you know there was just something inside of me that I, I wanted to serve. Right. I knew I wanted to fly, right. and so it kind of whittled down the direction doing rotary wing. And there was something from when I was growing up, they don't have the same tagline on the commercials these days, but it was, do you have what it takes? The few, the proud, <laughs> the merchant. And that's all there really was in the commercial. There yeah. wasn't as graphic and cool looking as they are now. And I, I, get, I still get goosebumps. And I remembered that, and I'm like, if I'm gonna do this, yeah. Let's do it. Let's not screw around. Yeah, and, a good one. Yeah, and so, I mean, quite honestly, from the, and this is back in America Online, AOL, dial-up days. Sure, okay. That I went on the computer, just went to the Marines website. I just wanted information. The next morning, the local recruiter called me. It was like, wow. talk about fast. I wasn't in a hurry, yeah. but he was like, hey, here's a pro prospect here. So it, that was fast. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of in a way was a whirlwind, but I had already made my decision that the restaurant company was not fulfilling some of its promises and I was ready to do what that was driving me inside about right. serving. Before I got the position, one of the positions I have now, um, I was f finishing my doctorate degree and I'm like, I have a little one and she was, gosh, a year and a half maybe, you know, not even two years old yet. School's about to end here. I'm like, I need a job. So I, yeah. you know, I'm starting to apply to my career side, I'm keeping it nebulous here. And, and then also I'm like, well, the military, like I've got all this training. So I applied to a couple state police departments, ATF, you know, um, FBI, um, um, the uh, federal marshals, U.S. marshals. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, as I started getting interviews for my profession, which we'll get to, <laughs> I was accepted to the Illinois State Police Academy. I was shortlisted for the um, U.S. Marshals and the ATF. Wow. Because of my background in the Corps already. Right. And especially with explosives. And so I was already, I'm like, hey, this is this would be cool. I'd love to do the law enforcement. And so still even today, you know, if I were younger, I'd still be going after something like that. But um, I'm doing quite well with what I do now. So we'll just stay safer. <laughs> okay. It was one of those things where I then just started getting interviews in, um, for what I do now. Really? And that took off and I got my one of my first positions 
and it just was like, well, this is the direction I'm going. This the law enforcement mm-hmm. was something I'm really passionate about, but that's not what all my schooling and you know, just working on my doctorate. It's like that's not you know. So your schooling <clears throat> with bachelor's, master's, doctorate was all towards what you're doing yes. now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's well, interesting, that's a, isn't it, Joe? That is because you said you were finished your first year master's in when you were in restaurant management. Right. And then I went in the core. So yep. you're doing something in the service. Industry? Nope. Yeah, you don't get a PhD in no. <laughs> restaurant management. No, <laughs> no that'd, be, that'd be weird. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. That's interesting I, that you studied for that all along. Yes. And, my, and what's interesting is uh, I started in fifth grade not okay. knowing that it was good, this is what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And that's and I um, when I was in restaurant management, I took time away from this. Mm-hmm. I love this. This is I feel like that. What is those game shows like? What's twenty questions game shows or you know behind sure. the screen and is, you know. this is fun, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, so I never knew that 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 was, when I started. That was obviously not my intent. Um, but in fifth grade. In fifth grade, of course. When right. did you decide this is what you wanted to do? Uh, that probably would have been junior, senior in high school. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense because then you're starting to look at colleges. Right. And I had gotten my first professional position in, as a senior in high school. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And so that, then I went. I remember going to the basketball coach because I played on the Morton High School basketball well, yeah, team. Yeah, because you are five feet eighteen. Five inches feet tall. eighteen inches. That's yeah. so funny. And uh, <laughs> you know, and and I told him there wouldn't be there shouldn't be any conflicts, but just to let you know. And he made me make a decision. It's basketball or. or this. And I was like, well, I'll see you in PE class then. And so I wow. stopped playing and wow. went off and just made that decision. That yeah. Messed up. It's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay with me. I pretty good. So when did you start playing the violin then? I don't play the violin. Oh, why would no. you ask that? Violin. Why would you think violin? That maybe just because I do weddings. Mm. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And it seems that young people, when they get into it, they're more prone to go or get paid for gigs. Oh, okay. Because oh, gotcha. Way too tall for violin. I got you. <laughs> and burly. I'm thinking tuba. Tuba. <laughs> Tall, burly guy. That's a tuba player right there. <laughs> tuba player. Okay, so no violin. I will say that, uh, you know, a lot of times people would ask me, when I tell them I was in the Marine Corps, they go, oh, were you in the band? Oh, really? A little hint, yeah. Oh, yeah, because, okay. Yeah. Oh, so because of your position now. Well, because of what I do, band. yeah. They that's, they, they that's their assumption. They would always ask, oh, sure. you're in the band. You were in the band. You know, the presence of Marine Band is what they were. So were you in the Marine Band? I was not. Where it was cool. No, red, but it's an awesome jackets. ensemble. I know. So you're a conductor then. Oh, like, what's that? this? Well, where does that come from? band. Right? But there's but a plethora of other instruments. Doesn't mean yeah, in the Marine to Corps. To be assumed. Oh. You, you have the... Oh, uh, mm, Joe, see. you are... But see, I didn't start connecting in fifth grade. That's true. No. See? So you this play, is why there's a half-truth going you on. You play an Got instrument. It. Yes. And it's pretty easy if you just think about... Piano. No. My wife plays wonderfully piano. She, she's a concert pianist and a conductor. Oh. Very musical family. Hmm. You are on the right track. It's a big instrument. You are on the right track. Your first question, your first thought. The conductor. No, the first, first thought. The cello. Oh, no. My son plays cello, though. He's at. He he, he plays cello. Viola? 
You're going smaller. Now you're going the wrong direction. Oh my gosh! Joe, I think I think on. I think this Marine's gonna make Joe Greenwood do push-ups for this wow. one. Oh boy! Whoa. Okay, so it's a stringed instrument. It's the big. You've already the mentioned three. There's only bass. one left. The bass. There yes. <laughs> the double bass. There you go. Yeah. Double bass. Yes. Well, yeah. It's a bass. A double bass. Yeah. This is great. This is this would be good to share with the music students, because if you look on the staff, now I can talk musically. I don't have to be nebulous. Yes. Now we can get down <laughs> nuts and bolts. If you look at the bass club of a staff on the staff right yeah. the middle line is a d if yeah. a cello for example plays that note it's the same note it sounds on a piano that exact same note okay if i replay that note on the bass what i read is my open d string it sounds an octave below okay so it's double the octave that's where double bass comes from okay so, so joe i am yeah. impressed you yeah. have impressed me joe pretty upright good bass. well done so you were playing the upright bass yes the double bass yes in fifth grade yes do you know why fifth grade you know, the high school brings out all the groups. They bring in a group for the band to play for the kids in music class. Mm-hmm. Who wants to join the band? And I'd look around and a whole bunch of hands go up because mm-hmm. the band's what everybody knows. I'm like, mm, no, I don't want to be like everybody else. Choir comes in, well, we're already singing, but I don't want to be, I don't like singing. So mm-hmm. so the strings come in, they bring in a quintet of a couple of violins, viola, cello, and then there's a bass. And I'm watching, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And so I mean, what's the information about that? And just a few of us, I'm like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So I didn't want, I wasn't a, a, a group follower. So then it comes to the day of picking the instrument, go to the junior high here in town. A bunch of people are going, this is the bass. This poor little guy was back in the back corner of the cafeteria. It's like, trying to be hidden or something really and they're like okay so which one looks like you know do you, you want to hold him like no i want that one really like that one and you know i guess <laughs> in my mind it's just because it's no one else is doing it. it's the yeah. biggest one and mm-hmm. looks really cool and so that's really how it started i mean when i talk to kids in at different levels i work with kids from kindergarten through high school um with my conducting jobs and i talk to them about music and you never know what brings you to it but there's always something that hooks a kid. And mm-hmm. when I talk to parents, I'm like, you know what? If a kid's got that drive about anything, as long as it's not sitting on the couch eating potato chips, foster it, yeah. whatever it is. If there's just something that the kid, if they love chess, if they, whatever it is, that's where we as parents have a responsibility to foster it. You know, Even if it's the biggest instrument, it's the, they want to play the tuba, things bigger than a bass. And that's what they really want to do, help them. You know, awesome. uh, that's otherwise you're just to me you're squashing the creativity of a child. Wonderful, yeah. Um, so, as a, as a educator, I agree. <laughs> Concur. That's all I got to add to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and then that equated into also conducting. You know, I played under right. many fine conductors, but a lot of clunkers. Mm. And I remember during my grad work. I was a geeky grad student, meaning when I was playing in an orchestra, I bring scores, the orchestral scores, and have them on another stand. So I'm watching. When I'm oh. not playing, I'm watching and seeing what's going on and, and learning that way. And I would have people come to me at break and say, hey, Brian, at this spot, what's he trying to do or what's she trying to do? Um, and so we'd find the spot. And I'm like, why are you at? I'm just the bass player of this thing. But again playing under not so great ones and so that again made me want to be the one on the podium making decisions leading and inspiring people i mean i know that there's things to it mm-hmm. but when i see you guys like okay, he's doing something right. he's doing something something's so what, happening what makes the difference between a good conductor and a clunker well I it, that's a musical term yeah clunker. right yeah <laughs> yeah well it's and it's all subjective 
I mean, and that's one of the things about the business. My wife and I talk about this a lot when it comes to like auditioning and competitions with conducting. It's very subjective. You know, what, the two of you would watch me and have two totally different viewpoints on what you just saw. But for me, what makes a good conductor is the, and this goes from the beginning levels all the way through Chicago Symphony level, New York Philharmonic, the top levels. For me, as a bassist watching, um, as well, is the best conductors are the ones that can prepare the orchestra or the ensemble, choir, or band, whatever it is, so well leading up to the performance that if a light falls down and hits me on the head, I fall down. They can finish whatever sure. the movement or the piece is with the inspiration of what we rehearsed, what I okay. taught, and then finish it and then come tend to me. You know, that they don't really need me on the performance. I'm there making music with them. I'm there to, you know, move with them. If somebody needs help on a cue or something, you know, there's things that I have to do. But when I have the most enjoyable experience on the podium is when I'm not even turning pages because we're just in it together. And if I do a little something with my hand, either one, and they respond, oh. and they do something totally different. We didn't even do in rehearsal. You know, I'm getting I'm getting goosebumps just talking about that. Wow. Um, so it's really, really cool. to it that people like, Joe and I don't even I right, have no well, clue that this is going on. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in generic terms, yeah, it would be the case. I mean, there's times when if you, if you, especially I'm so big, but if a conductor does a big, huge gesture as an audience member, you're going to expect something to come back at you that mirrors that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I pride myself in is, and I had a teacher that would always say, don't telegraph what's coming next. Like if there's a subito, which means immediate fortissimo, which is loud. If there's something immediate happening, you know, that should st the composer's going for that effect. Don't give it away by getting bigger going into that effect. And so I've learned different ways to get that without giving it away. And so so that's how I got into, you know, the whole leadership aspect of, of conducting as well. Um, so where do you conduct then? So I have... Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Great question. <laughs> this is what is so... So I am now um, in my going into my 19th season with the Muscatine Symphony in Iowa, going into my 16th season with the Clinton Symphony in Iowa, and then I'm going into my sixth season with the Kamawela Philharmonic, which is on the big island of Hawaii. Wow. And there's a ballet company out there that I'm the music director for as well. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I wish you could see his this face. Is awesome! You I get a lot of so airline miles, or you're on Zoom a lot, <laughs> right? Or both? Well, a little bit of both. A lot uh, of board meetings on Zoom. Um, well, at the most before COVID, I think the most I'd been out to to the Big Island was probably was it seven or eight times in one year, and that was a year that. We had a youth competition, then I had the ballet in December, and then to come back, then I did a, another ballet and a Pops concert in May, and there's a lot of back and forth. They're not always like that. Right. Um, this season, I think it's only going to be maybe four times I go out to Hawaii. I'm going, leaving this weekend, actually, for our first Masterworks. Um, in Iowa, I just drive back and forth. It's a two-hour, either orchestra is a two-hour one-way drive. So I just drive over, rehearse, drive back home. Um, so awesome. why Morton then? Oh, well, again, growing up here, yeah. um, when I uh, met my now wife and we decided to get engaged, she's also a, a conductor. She's a concert pianist turned conductor. Um, she has worked in uh, as assistant conductor in Winnipeg and down in Dallas as well. And when she was in Dallas is when we got engaged. And mm. and the family here, we, were, she, we always visited and she liked Morton because it was quiet. It was safe. We could leave the house open for a walk at 11 o'clock at night, all those kinds sure. of things. Um, and the schools were great, you know. And so with her, she would fly to Texas a lot. And the Peoria Airport, you know, is actually from wheels up to wheels down for her, was shorter than me driving to Iowa. 
Wow. So if you take out the security stuff, her commute was shorter to go to Texas. So it was proximity, you know, and she does, and still now she does a lot more traveling than I do. Yeah. For She's a music director in Fresno with the Fresno Philharmonic out in California. But she does a lot more guest conducting, and so she flies to different places. And Peoria works really well for that, very centrally located. Wow. Um, so let me ask you about the mechanics of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. How do you conduct people to play an instrument that you yourself don't know how to play well yeah so i don't know how to play if you put it in my hand to make a good sound out of it i know how it how it works i know how different techniques like to get the flute player to get a different sound um or a brass instrument to get a certain thing i want to go percussion i know virtually i can play the percussion instruments not as proficiently as those guys do but i know a lot of the rudiments and things like that of, of my education um i had to take courses on that so it's not that i can't i don't know how to play them i know what i need the techniques to get them to do what I want them to do. And if I don't, if there's something that I'm still looking for, then I can go to them on the side and say, you know, this is the sound I'm looking for. And then I rely on their their expertise. Um, but the key, you know, the one of the biggest things to do that is probably more difficult is getting, because of the nature of playing a string instrument versus a wind or a brass instrument, and then you have percussion, is if you want them to play right at the same point, it takes different techniques for each one of them to do that. Because percussion is going to be instantaneous. Mm-hmm. Strings, there might be a little delay if they're using a bow or if they're pizzicato plucking. Woodwinds, whether the air goes across the hole of the flute or you get the reeds buzzing at the right time. So what I give them in preparation is more important than probably anything else I give them. Sure, yeah. So that they know how to get that together. And I think I've gotten pretty good at it over the years. I think bass playing has helped because as a bass player, we're in the back of the orchestra. And so being 60 to 80 feet away from the other end of the orchestra, mm-hmm. we still have to play together. Even though someone may know a particular piece of music, do you <laughs> interpret it differently? Do you, like when I'm DJing, mm-hmm. I've got lots of different things I can do to a song. To make know, it cool. things over right. to make it cool, adjust the tempo, I can loop certain things. Do you ever mess with the original piece to make it like you like this piece, You're right? I see what you mean. Yeah, no, no, I see what you mean. Um, first answer is yes. People ask, "What do I listen to?" I rarely listen to classical music. Ironically, in fact, there's a couple things in my Apple Music that's classical music, mm-hmm. but generally I don't. And the main reason is, is I don't want, for example, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. Ba 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 bum. Everybody knows it. Okay, I don't. If I'm doing that piece, I don't want to listen to Herbert von Karajan from the Berlin Philharmonic days or Leonard Bernstein, and then it become theirs. I want it to be mine. So whether my tempo is different, I do different dynamics. I hold a fermata longer, short. So that's me. Um, also, a lot of the major orchestras take fast tempos really fast. And I don't like taking things that fast. And you know, even when there's a metronome marking that says how fast it takes something, I feel it more than anything else. Um, if if something's going so fast, I feel anxious. You know, if a composer wants you to feel anxious, I can tell how they wrote the music. But if I'm feeling anxious because it's just going too fast, I don't have time to breathe. My audience is going to feel that way. The musician's going to feel that way, and it's not going to. The piece just won't work. Right. And so there's a lot of it. Me making things my own. Um, which is why, unless it's a brand new piece and I've got to turn it around, or there's an aria or a concerto that I need to learn, 
you know, I'll listen to some of those just to see how they get out of certain spots and, you know, a cadenza where they play by themselves and I got to catch them at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives me a way to practice hearing the notes so I can know when to bring the orchestra back in. But I find, you know, sometimes I'll scan through if somebody mentions a piece, oh, it'd be great if you do this piece. I'll listen to it to see if it, I like it, you know, but for studying and things like that, I just try to stay away from it so it can be mine. You know what it's time for? The list! The, the list. list! It's time for me list. to conduct the list. Oh, I see what you the did list. there. The list. It's the final countdown! If your friends were to give you an award, what would it be for? Quite honestly, if people were to do that, I think Great Father. Oh. Because no matter what jobs I have, I left the core because of a child. Mm. Okay. For me, family comes first. I was put on this planet to be a father. Everything else afterwards is making it so I can be the best one I can be. So I'm really fortunate with the jobs. that I have numerous orchestras, but it is a career that I'm not, I'm home. I've got four orchestras and I can be a stay-at-home dad. The only time I'm not is when I have to go to Hawaii for seven to 10 days. And interestingly enough, like this year when I go, my daughter's coming with me two of the times just because of our family schedules. So she'll be coming with me, but I'll still be the dad, you know? So that's, to me, that's the most important. And hopefully that's what people would say. What's one thing you hate that everyone else loves? This is a family show, right? Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Everyone else loves coffee. Coffee, yeah. I can't stand coffee. Oh. My time in restaurant management, Marine Corps, you think I'd be a coffee drinker? Right. Oh, no. I was a hot chocolate guy. Oh, yeah. I would yep. trade MRE hot chocolates for, oh, man. <laughs> That's what I see, big, big, tough Marine. Hot chocolate. Yeah. Give me the hot chocolate. You got any of the tiny marshmallows? <laughs> <laughs> But you know those MRE pouches, the hot cocoa. A lot of them did have the little. I mean, they were they're like rocks by the time we get them. But oh, yeah, they, they were there. Yeah. That's Brian. Can you do an accent? Oh, you know one I do all the time with with on, on, from the podium is a Russian accent because you see when we do Tchaikovsky and Rachmaninoff, you see they have a tendency to speed up, and so I say you're not Russian, so don't speed up, go slower. See the Russian yeah, rushing. Russian. Yeah, so. Get it? That's yeah. good. That Why? Was, thank you. That was really good. Thank you. That was one of the best. Why? Thank yeah. you. I'm not a sleeper agent, so please don't worry. Oh. About it. What's something that's gone away that you'd oh. like to bring back? Something gone away that we'd like to bring back. Common sense. I can elaborate if you like, but I think yeah. that one just sitting yeah, out no, there is great. I think I think that just sits out there pretty nicely, just mm-hmm. in the state of the world and this country and on various levels. Just one hundred percent common sense. Okay, now for the important questions. Okay. Who is oh. one person you Bring would back. love to sit down and have dinner with? It could be alive or dead. Right. It could be alive or dead. Who is one person you would love to sit down to a meal with? There's only one correct answer on this one and that is George <laughs> Foreman. George Foreman. I know George that girl I know. And if, and if you're listening, George, he'd really like to have lunch I with you. I would love to have dinner with you, George. I'll even pay. I tell you what, I'll even cook on a, our George Foreman grill. How's that sound? Right. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. 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 All right. So, there, yours I be? mean, that's such an interesting question because with my, again, if we just take music and the military, yeah. there's so many people that have gone. Because I've got, I mean, literally, a Rolodex is oh, flying yeah, through my head. A whole head. bunch. A whole You've bunch. You've got a whole bunch of inspiration to draw from. Oh, that. my gosh. Chesty Baller. Yeah, mm-hmm. That's the one, that, one of them that came right to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, who? Chesty Puller? Yes, yeah. please look it up. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Did I have my Google safe search on? <laughs> no, no. no. Oh, no. God. <laughs> no, I can see where you're going. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, I, I did it. I did it. It just clicked. Yeah. I that was, could lead to I was behind you on that one. 
lead to some pretty bizarre search results. Oh gosh! <laughs> you know what? I actually think I actually think and this this might throw some people off. I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna do something that's alive because I've got All a right. litany of people that are yeah, dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it'd be really interesting sitting and have a a you know a backyard cookout, and you'll know what I mean by this in, in a minute, with the grill and everything, just a couple cold beers with George W. Bush. Okay. So you see why I put that visual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He seems okay. like a backyard barbecue yeah. kind of guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Why W? Because uh, he's the most recent that had you know effect on my life because he was present when I went to Iraq. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've seen Paul. I've seen historians have now started to rework how he was portrayed, as they now are getting more information. And so, further you get away from historical events, the more truth comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think you know him being labeled a knucklehead, a, a, you know, a country mm-hmm. boy, can do it. I tell you what, I'd rather a politician that was easy spoken and didn't have all these little sound bites perfectly said, right, right. versus what we have. Yeah. And everything's just so pristine and wordsmith. Just speak from the heart. He was a plain talker, uh-huh. wasn't he? Yeah. Well, uh-huh. well don't do it. No, we, no we're not. not no, 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 we don't do politics. We're not going there. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second question. There's a right answer to this. Uh-oh. Oh, gosh. Shawshank Redemption or Princess Bride? Shawshank Redemption. Yes! <laughs> It's like three or four in a row. Yes. <laughs> only, only because there's a gut instinct reaction. Because I love both of them. My name is Aníbal Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yes. <laughs> the eleven fingered man. No, but Shawshank Redemption on so many levels. The acting, the storyline. I mean, just it's incredible. Sorry if I burst your bubble. It's okay. Okay. You know what? We're, We're all still friends here. All right. I don't sit and pout when people don't agree with me. Well, there was an insinuation I- there. <laughs> Wow! In this room, when people choose my movie, we're gonna have to start having videos in here because I just sit here while he prances around and does his We Are the Champion. Oh gosh! Oh. This is awesome, Brian. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. We'll see you next time. Of which we don't approve. Who is it that always intervenes? UN and OAS. They have their place, I guess. But first, send the Marines.